Yeah, good morning. You're a, you're a lively bunch, aren't you? This is great. We're going to have some fun today. Um, I'm an adopted Yorkshireman, you might say. Um, it was actually in a New Frontiers church, how many? 12 years ago now, wow, that makes me feel old, um, that I um, came to, to the North University, York City Church. Um, so yeah, I probably know some people that, that you know I've met one or two already, which is, which is lovely. Um, been working for CAP. For, for nine years now, and now um, live just in the, um, well, it's actually the same valley, Airedale in uh, Bailden, part of Bradford, um, so not too far to come this morning. Um, and yeah, such a privilege to be with you. Isn't it exciting to hear about what God is doing already through the debt centre with Helen? Yes, yes it is. Someone is excited about what God is doing. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, this is one of my favourite things to do in my job. Um, I I look after um, the church talks side of our work uh, and cap money as well, which is a financial capability thing that we do. Um, and yeah, this is an absolute treat. Um, but I, I want to take you back to about nine years ago, where I was sat a little bit nervously in a mid-sized family car, looking at this quite unremarkable, really, red brick semi just across the road on the outskirts of York. I was a fresh-faced intern tagging along for a visit with the local debt centre manager, which was something they did for all of the interns at that point. And what I had no idea sitting in the car at that moment was how that moment was going to break my heart. See, poverty can be this really abstract thing before that moment, it was this sort of dotted line on a graph that tells you how many X percentage, how many million have less income than someone somewhere in an office has decided is the right amount that you need to live on. But that moment for me was the moment that it became real as we went into that house and this lady poured out her heart, and I'm yeah, going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. And the question that I want to explore with us today is, what posture are we called to have by Jesus towards those experiencing poverty? Our passage this morning is Luke 14, 20, 12 to 14, and we'll read that in a second. And just to set the scene, what's happening is Jesus basically, he's at a dinner party. Uh, he's made the invite list, um, fairly interesting guest, to be fair, and together with the Pharisees, fairly rich and probably influential friends, it tells us he's being carefully watched. Now, what you need to know is that banquets in that moment, they held a really prominent place in the Jewish imagination. So Jews of that time expected that the re-establishing of God's kingdom was actually going to be marked with this great banquet, and they drew that from prophetic literature in places like Isaiah. And so when this teacher, Jesus, some were saying prophet, starts talking about feasts, they go, oh, he's got their attention. Now, Jesus gives them this instruction in verses 12 to 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours, or lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, 
Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So he reads, he gives them that instruction, and then he tells them this parable in verses 15 to 24 that illustrates the instruction that he's just given them. Um, So let me just summarize that for you. Okay, so this is 15 to 24, short version. Man holds a great banquet. And again, Jesus is getting into this kingdom of heaven imagery. This man, he invites people to the banquet. And based on what we hear next, those are largely people with property and wealth. Um, Really well-to-do, upstanding members of society. Um, Quite like the Pharisees that he's speaking to, actually. Interesting. But the day of the party, they all make excuses. And if we're we're going to be honest, they're really quite naff excuses. It's like, oh, I've just got to go and see the fields that I've bought. It's like saying, well, I've bought a house, but I've never been there, so I'm going to go and check it. Who buys a house or a field without looking at the field first? The point is they're terrible excuses. And so with this fattened calf, probably going cold in the oven by this point, the master just says, right, that's it. I'm going to throw the party wide open. And he says to his servants, go out, anyone that you can find, invite the poor, the disabled, and anyone else that's socially marginalized, and bring them to the banquet. So that it's full of those people instead. And you know what? The people that I invited, that I wanted to come in the first place, tell them not to even bother showing up. And You can kind of hear in the way that Jesus is telling it that there's quite a sharp edge to this. This isn't just a nice story. This is a story with a real purpose. He's saying there's a banquet coming. The kingdom of God is coming. In fact, it's here. But it's not going to be in the way that you expect it. And in fact, he's saying to the Pharisees, your priorities are so wrong that you're at risk of missing out altogether. And actually God is throwing the invite list wide open. I don't know about you. I don't want to miss what God is doing in the kingdom of God because my assumptions about what that is, it it doesn't conform to that. Wouldn't it be tragic if we missed out on the good, good that God is doing in Leeds in Bradford because we have a different expectation, set of expectations about what that means. But you know what? Sometimes I read passages like this, and I kind of think, yeah, the Pharisees, they're, yeah, they've, they've, they've really got it wrong. Jesus is um, he's, um, beating up on them. Um, and clearly they're a kind of example for us what not to do. Um, but you know what? I don't think Jesus is just telling this to be mean. Yeah, I think there's always a deeper point when Jesus tells stories like that than to just be harsh on them. This isn't just about judgment. Actually, this is about invitation. Jesus is trying to give the Pharisees a different way of looking at the world. And actually, he's inviting them to to change, rearrange their priorities to start reflecting the practices and priorities of the one 
that they called king in the way that they actually lived their life day to day. So, Jesus' message, in a way in this passage, is really, really simple. Then, as it is now, who you ate with was the defining social activity that said what and who you value. You know, who we have around our dinner table, it says something really meaningful about who and what we value. And 2,000 years ago, just like it is today, the social norm was that you invited people that would invite you back. Not in a kind of super deliberate way, that just is the natural human way of doing things. We reciprocate. People that are kind to us, we are kind to in return. But then, and still today, Jesus' point is actually no. The way of following God is to be the ones that are generous first. Not to wait to be invited, but to invite. To throw our tables open regardless of whether we're ever, whether we're ever going to get repaid. You see, this word, Zochain, in the Hebrew, um, the only other place that it's used in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus is actually physically feasting with Levi, the tax collector, and his disreputable friends. You know, let's not over-spiritualize this passage too much. There is a very direct and practical application here where Jesus is literally saying, hold a feast, invite people that cannot repay you. And yet within this as well, there's this sense of a wider principle of what it means to be followers of Jesus, to be people of intentional generosity towards those that can't repay you. So that's the God's heart, Jesus' heart, that sits behind the work that you're doing. But I just want to touch a little bit on how do we go from holding a feast to helping people with debt? You know, there's, there's a bit of a jump, to be fair, isn't there? And you might be thinking, why debt? Why does that matter? Why is that an important or significant thing to do? Um, but you know what? Debt is actually a justice issue. So a 2018 report found Leeds had face-to-face debt advice provision for 1,600 people, but over 5,000 people, there were over 5,000 people more in need who there wasn't the capacity to help. That's the most recent figures we had available. And you can imagine how COVID and cost of living might have impacted those numbers. I doubt it's gone down, let's put it that way. Um, Now, if you're a middle to high earner, there are companies that can actually work with you to help you repay your debts. And there's a kind of system whereby um, they will take um, a cut from the money, from the people that you're paying the money to. And there's a kind of a system established that they will help you get it sorted and it works. So that's not a bad thing. You know, that's a good thing that there are pathways for people to get out of debt on middle to high incomes. But here's the thing if you're poor, If your debt burden is so overwhelming it would just take decades to repay or there's no realistic way that you'd ever do that, there's no money to be made in that, there's no profit to be had, Um, that means that you're left with the free providers. um, And many people are helped through free provision. Um, 
But actually, very often, that can be by email and phone-based service. And it's these baked-in assumptions of digital literacy and having good enough mental health that you can be proactive and initiate all of that stuff, and you've got the confidence and the competence to be able to get that paperwork together. So let me ask you, if you're poor, vulnerable, struggling with mental health, not particularly digitally literate, and imprisoned by debt, where do you go? What do you do? And actually, the reality is there is far more people in that situation that need help than there is support available for them. And what debt does is it traps people in poverty and it robs them of the chance to reset their life. It robs them of a chance for a fresh start. And so hopefully you can see why, as people of the kingdom of God who believe that there is hope and redemption, that God is restoring and renewing all things, that every person is made in the image of God, that that is not okay. And then that that is something we should care deeply about and something that Helen is so beautifully leading you in as a church to respond to. So as you partner with CAP, what practically happens is someone calls CAP's free phone helpline and they book an appointment. Over the course of three visits, Helen and a befriender, they meet with that person, they gather the financial information and send it to the Bradford head office who negotiate with creditors, who do the technical debt advice, um, all of that regulated aspect of stuff. And then together, CAP head office and you, the local church, we support that person through their journey out of debt. But all of that is much better uh, seen um, and heard from someone's own lips than it is explained by me trying to talk you through it. So we're going to watch a story now on video of Simon's story. That just explains a bit more what that actually looks like in practice. Mum, now deceased wife, uh, used to look after the finances. Uh, She was the one that was good with the money, where I wasn't. And I'd built up quite a lot of severe debt, unmanageable debt. So I was living in fear of... Eviction, I'd been served with an eviction notice from my landlords. I didn't see a way forward, I didn't see a way out of it. Um, so I decided, oh, I just tried to end it all. It was actually my landlords who'd mentioned Christians Against Poverty. They fast-tracked me and my debt coach, Jim, arrived in my doorstep. Nobody had crossed the threshold. Um, I'd been living there, I think I'd been there nearly two years. So the biggest difference that Christians Against Poverty's process made for me was that it was house visits. By the July of 2016, I got that wonderful telephone call from headquarters at CAP where they said, Mr. Moss, you are now debt-free and played the harmonicas and that's one of the greatest sounds I've ever heard.
I then um, went on a cup event where I came to faith. This lady put her hands on my, on my shoulder and prayed for me. Just felt an overwhelming sense of calm and peace and love and warmth that I've never experienced before. And I just knew. I just knew that what it was and committed my life to Jesus there and then. On a Sunday, I can't wait to get up for service. I just love the church family that I've got. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're, we're closer than blood. Um, and we support each other. We live our lives for each other. We're there for each other. And I praise God and thank God for that day that I now know he watched over me when I tried to end it all. And he said, no, mate, you're not going yet. You've got lots to do. felt such a, an overwhelming sense of wanting to give something back. It's turned my life around 180 degrees, um, completely structureless to you know, having a real purpose in life now. Both of my sons in conversation saw the difference that coming to faith had made to me. Daz came up first. He's in minor crime, so he'd been in and out of prison. Anyway, he came to the service, sat at the back, listened intently. We happened to be having that evening some baptisms in Newcastle, so he chose to come along and get baptised. And I've never felt so proud in all my life, it was the proudest moment. Sorry. Obviously, it was a tragic situation for us, for the family. But the blessings for me, personally, is that he's found Jesus and he's taken, being taken to glory. Um, with his maker and he's sat up there and he's looking down on us and I'm sure he's proud of what his dad's doing. Life can still be uh, tough but I know that I've always got my church family around me to support me and I know that I've always got Jesus as my best friend and as it says, my superhero. <laughs> amazing isn't he? I remember when we were going through the editing process for that video a little over a year ago and we showed him the first cut and it didn't have the stuff about his son and he said oh, no I want the stuff in about my son and how he found Jesus even though he passed away and it was just 
something in him had, just has a grasp of the grace of God, honestly, that I envy. It's just beautiful. Like, I want my life to look like that, to know the love of God that deeply. It's just beautiful. And here's the thing. Actually, yeah, it's a Bible issue about serving the poor. Yeah, it's a justice issue about debt. But more than anything, actually, it's a discipleship thing because this is an opportunity for you, for each of you, to experience God in a fresh way, to have your heart changed and transformed as you serve him in this. Um, I spoke about, at the start, about this uh, red brick semi that I was sat outside in a little mid-sized family car. The way that experience broke my heart. The woman that we were visiting, she'd been the victim of domestic abuse. Her partner had destroyed every piece of furniture in the house. And yet, the dignity of this woman as she drew out the debts that she had catalogued and was determined to to repay, man, as a young university student, did that open my heart to the reality of poverty. Now, that's probably not you. You might know that really deeply for yourself. But my point is, if you would have the courage to be involved, especially as a befriender, man, are you going to give the Holy Spirit some beautiful ways to get a hold of your heart? So as I finish up, I really want to major on that invitation that Helen has given. You know what? It's it's not always going to be simple things are going to sometimes be a lot more complicated than Simon. You're going to see half successes and stories. You're going to see breakthrough and slide back. You're going to see people whose circumstances are improved and yet their life is still really, really difficult. But man, can God work in your heart in and amongst that brokenness as you see the beauty in that. So, yeah, give it a go. There's a list and I just want to say... There's particularly Beeston and Middleton are two areas in particular that really need that. So if you live in those areas um, especially, but yeah, if you want the privilege of God shaping your heart in this way, get your name down. Give it a try. Um, Second, I just invite you to consider whether you'd like to personally get involved in the work of CAP um, above and beyond what's happening locally. You know, there's some things that you can only do locally Um, face-to-face with people. But there's also some stuff that we can only do nationally as a church. You know, there are clients right now for whom even when we help out of debt, the reality of their situation and their budget means it still doesn't balance. There are still some huge challenges. And it's only by raising our voices together as the church across the UK, tens of thousands of Christians willing to... um, write to their MP to participate in local events or just to have that awareness and bring that into their conversations. It's only by doing stuff at a national scale that we can see justice come as well as compassion done. And so I um, yeah, have some forms and I would love to give you the chance just to be aware of some of that stuff that's happening through CAP's national communications um, and be a part of that movement at a nationwide scale. 
Specifically, um, I also want to invite you to consider giving a regular financial gift to CAP. Now, I know that you're a really generous church, already involved in many things. So please, if this isn't for you, just let it go right over your head. And there are lots of other ways to engage. Um, But perhaps you're sitting here today and actually your heart has been stirred by this vision. And you do have some capacity to be generous above and beyond your existing church giving or commitments. CAP is a movement of people inspired by their faith, determined to play their part. And there are over 29,000 people that do that, that we call life changers. We give anything from £2 a month to £200 a month. Anyone that can do that especially, I'd love to chat to you. (laughs) But no, seriously, if you'd like to give, it's not about the pound amount. It's about being able to participate in that way. And individual gifts make up over 60% of the income of Christians Against Poverty and underpin everything we do. We could not do it without it. So if you'd like to partner with us personally in that way, I'd love to discuss that with you. Um, And again, I've got a bunch of resources on the stand outside that I'd love to connect you with. So just ask you to take a moment in your heart to think, is that something I'm interested in? And if you want to explore that, please come and speak to me. Um, Matt and worship team, would you guys just come up? um, And I want to pray for Helen and for you as a church, as a close-off. Yeah. God, uh, I thank you for Helen, for the deep heart of compassion she has for her skills and compassion and ability to lead. God, but I thank you that she is here not to do the work, but to lead this church in service and compassion to those in poverty in the city of Leeds. So God, as we take this word on what it means to host a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. As we reflect on Simon's story and are inspired by the grace of God in his life, would you touch our hearts, God, and give us more of your heart for those in poverty? And would you reshape our heart as we follow you? Amen.